Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm Magic Brian, your host for this growing collection of interviews. In this episode, on a windy day in December of 2019, Isaac Giardin spoke with Mallory Square legend, tightrope walking juggler, Will Soto. Will's been street performing for 43 years and he has the stories to show for it. Will talks about what it was like during the laid-back, free-living early days at Mallory Square and how in the 80s they fought to keep the nightly sunset celebration alive by creating a non-profit corporation. He shares stories about performing over an alligator pit, his willingness to always take chances, and saving a man's life during one of his shows. From starting out as a sculptor selling his art at Renaissance festivals to being the face of Key West Mallory Square, Will Soto has definitely left his mark and his legacy on the world of street theater. Uh, this is uh, Isaac Girardin here with uh, Stories from the Pitch, and I am in Key West, Florida, with the uh, legendary Will Soto of Mallory Square. Say hi, Will. Hi, Will. No, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Will, um, I've only been in Key West a little while, but it didn't take me any time to find out that uh, Will Soto is synonymous with Mallory Square. But before all that, um, what got you started in the industry? You've been here a while, but there was there was a time before Mallory. Uh, yeah, when I first came to Mallory in 1976, I was uh, traveling as a sculptor. I was doing the art fair circuit, Renaissance fairs, some galleries, and um, but I had a background in gymnastics. I was you know a juggler by hobby. Okay. And so when I did the Renaissance fairs, I always ended up hanging out with the performers, <laughs> practicing with them, you know. And they busted on me all the time about, oh, man, you're a closet performer. You should try it. <laughs> and I was like, nah, nah, I already got a profession. But uh, something clicked. Uh, a couple of my mentors were, were finally, you know, busted on me. Um, Avner, the eccentric, being okay. one. Avner Eisenberg and uh, Turk Pipkin from legendary uh, juggler from Texas. Okay, okay. So uh, they they kept busting on me, and when I discovered Key West in '76, you know, the first obviously the first thing one of the first things I found was the Sunset Celebration. It was a very small and local in those was it, days. Was it even a sunset celebration, really? Well, you know, we called it, yeah. Uh, we called it, we didn't call it a celebration. We just called it the sunset, simply. Mm-hmm. People would say, see you at sunset, or are you going to the sunset tonight? And it was uh, it was before all the new bridges were built okay. in, the, uh, in the 80s. So Key West was still an end-of-the-road sort of a place. Kind know? of had to make an effort to get yeah, here. Yeah, it was a hideaway. <laughs> Dropouts, uh, you know, uh, loners. But there was a, sort of a common thread of, uh, what's the word for it? Maybe adventurism and, uh, uh, I don't know, adventurers, rogues. Yeah. Travelers, sailors, artists, fishermen. Kind of an interesting mix of all of them. Kind of sounds like a real, a real Wild West. Yeah, of yeah. It was oh, and culture I, and art, though. I have said it, uh, you know, a, a ton of times. I've described it as a, a kind of a frontier town when I got here. Yeah, it was. 
people didn't ask you your last name or what you did for a living. They just were, you know, if you were good, if you were a good neighbor to them, they were good to you. That's all they cared about. Your yeah. handshake meant a lot. Yeah, you're here. Yeah, you're here now. Here's a here's a chance to re kind of restart if you choose to. Yeah. Well, when I came to uh, when I came to Key West, there was a few people hanging on at Sunset. I'm talking about a few. It was like maybe thirty or. 40 people on a big night, you know, and yeah. people were just sitting with their legs hanging over the edge and smoking and drinking, watching the sunset, and it was a no big thing, you know. Uh, one or two drummers might come down, maybe a guitar player at the other end of the pier, occasionally a flautist, or it was just, there wasn't anything that was advertised or planned. It was just a spontaneous, uh, kind of sacrament where people came to watch the sun go down and kind of end the day and start the evening, you know. Yeah. So, um... And were there any performers at that time, or was it like there, that hippie there, drum circle type thing? Or? Well, the drum circle uh, vibe evolved. It did happen, but in the uh, in the early days, we'd get a, a stray busker would come in now and then <laughs> and, and do something, and and one day, uh, Bounce and Locomotion Circus came in. Bounce and Cyrus. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had seen them do a show in New Orleans because I moved here from New Orleans. All right. So, uh, and I always liked them. So when I saw them do a show here, I thought to myself, you know, it, it was a real nice vibe right next to the water. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a really friendly, friendly place. And I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I could start, try a show here. You know, maybe they'll laugh with me instead of at me. <laughs> and at this point, you'd, you'd kind of, you'd left the Renaissance circuit, or you're taking a break from your sculpting oh, yeah, Renaissance I, circuit? I hadn't even taken a break. I, I had just finished the um, Coconut Grove show in Miami. Okay. In February. Okay. And ran into an old friend, artist friend, that I used to, that I used to do Renaissance fairs with. Okay. When we were getting ready to leave his name is dennis blankenheim he's here still <laughs> you know he said come came on. to key west and never left yeah no. he, he said come on uh you know we got a place on stock island you should come down and visit and i told him no nah, i'm gonna go back you know i want to go back to new orleans and i don't know what happened <laughs> we, we drank some rum <laughs> crossed a bunch of bridges and next thing i knew i was at his his place in key west and uh, man, I knew, I knew it within probably 24 to 48 hours that I, there was something like magical about this place that I wanted to explore yeah. further. You know, so when I found Mallory Square at Sunset Time, I went, "Okay, sign me up." You know, yeah, let's have some fun. So yeah, I did my first show there, and, and th uh, that's what I was going to ask: Had you ever performed before this? Because you. Were you had some mentors, Avner's no, yeah, no small I, guy, but like I, I sat in with a few people and did sort of a couple of impromptu shows okay. in both New Orleans and uh, Chicago, Lincoln Park and Chicago. And at that time, was it mostly juggling, your gymnastics? Mostly style? juggling. Okay, strictly, pretty much strictly juggling, devil stick. Uh, you know, the usual, <laughs> the, the usual knives fire. Gotcha. You know. It may not have been the usual then. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Before my time, for sure. But, uh, so you did your first show here. How uh, how was that? 
Well, you know, uh, from what I can remember of it, <laughs> it was quite a while ago. All right, all right. The biggest impression I remember from that, uh, I don't know if it was the first night or the first week or something, I, I started out and I was having just fun shows, really fun shows. And I remember riding my bike home. And I just had a little bag of equipment then. Yeah. I was riding my bike home after a show thinking, it was a bit, maybe after my first week, I thought, shit, I should have been doing this 10 years ago. <laughs> this is more fun than, than you know, I, I love sculpting, but it, it involves me being by myself in a workshop or somewhere, you know, eight to 10 hours at a time uh, by myself. I, I know that feeling. I used I used to be a crafter. I made thousands of devil sticks. That was how yeah. I made my living for five years. And, and I loved the having people fun buy was, my products. That's right. But you know what? The 10 hours a day yeah. doing one thing repetitively I was that the create same that way one with, unique uh, piece for somebody else. As is, an artist, you know, yeah. my only fun with, with it was, uh, I mean, I got a certain amount, obviously, of... Uh, artistic satisfaction from pieces that I really designs I really like oh yeah yeah but you know how it is as a as an artist vendor you need to make what will sell too so yeah. you got your production 90% of your work is not that yeah, stuff that yeah, makes yeah. you smile anymore <laughs> so uh, you know I was uh, I was doing that stuff when I came here and there wasn't uh, it's as soon as I started performing, I realized that, okay, if I'm going to get any good at this, I have to quit sculpt, quit being an artist. Okay. Or not quit, quit being a... Crafter, uh, I a, guess. Um, a salesman. A sa yeah, a salesman. Art salesman, yeah. you know, a merchant. Yes. So yeah. um, I, I gave away, I sold and traded most all my stock, gave away my tools, just cleared house. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I needed, you know. Then I started having big fun with it because I knew that okay, now I have to develop this. How, how did that feel, not having to truck around all this stuff and rolling up with a backpack of a show or something like that? That was interesting. I, I, I as a as a as a uh, traveling artisan, I wasn't carrying all that much. No, I had a pretty good, pretty well okay. up and down in a somewhere by myself and making things and then coming out to a fun party and yeah. selling it selling it I was making this stuff and selling it at the same time once I yeah. became a performer and, and I, you're a part of the party yeah yeah and not only that that's more in keeping with my own um, personality I love being around I love working with people yeah so even though I liked my artwork it, it um, isolated me for long periods of time yeah definitely does that I've always imagined I might come back to it one day but uh, well you always got that in your in your hip pocket you know? yeah that's exactly yeah, it. it's nice to have some other cards right now I just am doing kind of, uh, something that's very similar I'm writing a book and I'm literally on about the last chapter and I tried to start oh man over a series probably over a series of five or more years 
And I'd write a chapter and I'd put it down and I wouldn't even look at it for another <laughs> nine or ten yeah. months, you know. And uh, so uh, one day I decided, wow, man, um, if I want to do this book, I have to, like, get my mind right on it, like, you know, like I did when I switched, because uh, uh, basically it's, it's learning another profession. Mm-hmm. So I had to do, like, when I started performing. So first thing I did was I called up and canceled my... Uh, Because uh, the cable TV was always on at our house, uh, you know, just weather, sports, news, not even movies, just that stuff. It was always a distraction. So, uh, of course, everybody in Key West keeps the uh, weather channel on for the entire hurricane season. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. That seems essential. Yeah, that seems right. like a, a good call. But I turned it off, and man, it was like turning on a faucet. I started cranking out, you know. A new chapter every two weeks. Wow. Okay. Because I'd come home and it was nothing to do. Yeah. You know, and so I. You uh, can cultivate a little bit of coffee, boredom. Uh, have a quick smoke and uh, sit down at the computer and boom, no, it was quiet, no interruptions. And it just started. Once I started, it just started pouring out of me. And I went, okay, okay. I should have been doing this ten years ago. <laughs> you know, it happens when it happens, though. That's right. Timing's everything. Do you know uh, what's, uh, I don't know how much you want to say, but what, what's the book about? Mm. This would be a great spot to plug it. You it's can make called, tens of dollars with these people. It's called Key West Rogue Galleries. Okay. Rogue <laughs> Galleries. And uh, at the rate I'm going, there will probably be volume two and three, you know, because it's essentially true stories of absolutely oddball things that I've seen you know, either witnessed or or experienced or whatever since I've been in Key West. It's all pretty much related to Key West. Okay. And, you know, uh, there's uh, maybe of the 20 chapters right now, uh, I can't think, I think maybe three or four of them uh, ha- actually have to do with shows okay. at Key West. But most of the other ones are like sailing stories. Yeah. Stories or fishing stories, yeah. Anything that's Key West related, that's nutty, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I feel like you're you've been at the nexus for a lot, or real close to it for a lot of that. Could could you share one of the uh, share one of the performance stories? Don't give too much away, but uh, Uh, something crazy has happened here. I I've heard a few from you already, but yeah. Well, uh, without giving away. Uh, talking about any other performers. No, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so I back up a little bit. Uh, I was gathering my crowd, and I was talking to a gentleman who is uh, from Maryland, and just, you know, a, a normal tourist. He came down to fish, fisherman, and okay. he had just uh, got a hot dog from the hot dog booth right next to me. Yep, yep. And... Um, so he was eating his dog, and I was chatting him up a little bit while I gathered my crowd. Then I had enough people to start, so I didn't So I'm giving my crowd instructions and then rolling into the first trick. And just as I'm spinning around on the first trick, the juggling trick, I uh, I see this guy, like, kind of leaning over. 
He was turning blue and going down on one knee. So I stopped what I was doing and ran over there. And um, the lady next to him says, I think he's choking. I'm a nurse. Let me try. Uh, and Heimlich, Heimlich him. So she did, but he he, had, he was kind of a barrel-chested guy. Yeah. And she was really small. So yeah, she hard to get, get the arms yeah. around. She wasn't getting any leverage. And, man, talk about timing. As luck would have it, yeah. I was working in those days as a personal trainer and I, <laughs> and I had to renew my license so like two days before this i had just taken retaken the cpr course and all and the you know yeah yeah and uh i'm looking the dummy you know <laughs> the, the <laughs> dummy. fresh fresh right. fresh, fresh. <laughs> so uh, i went woohoo i grabbed him. i said let me give it a try i grabbed him and i spun him around and man i did him once nothing twice nothing third time nothing and i'm starting to think of holy crap this guy's going to die in my arms he's now he's now totally limp yeah. turning almost a blackish blue Ugh. and not and unresponsive you know so in order to uh, I had my arms still around him in order to Heimlich you know, I was pulling in towards me yeah so now he was starting to uh, his legs were totally given out mm -hmm. so I was holding him up and in order to Pull in towards me. I had to get him up a little higher, so I lifted him up and did it. Yeah, and that caused the act action with my hands to go not in but up. Okay. As soon as I did, man, came out <laughs> a big ball of hot dog bun dough <laughs> fired out of him like like a big champagne cork, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and a big whoosh of air came out of him, you know. I set him down. I, I ran to a vendor right nearby and got, got some water and brought, gave him some water. And he was okay. We, we got a chair from one of the vendors, and he went over to the side and sat on the chair. And I just went on with my show. Uh, <laughs> As I looked around, I saw... Good hat. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I saw people looking at me like a little bit like, is that part of the show? Can you set that up and make, you know... So um, I got done with the show. <clears throat> I looked around; and the guy was gone, and oh, yeah. I thought, "Oh, that's weird." You know, I saw, I kind of felt a little bond with him since we just went, went yeah. through this whole thing. So I didn't think anything of it. But about two weeks later, I was Amy and I were getting ready to go out, and uh, I got a call from some guy. He says, "Hey, my name's um, I think it was Tony. I don't even remember." He goes, "But." Uh, I'm business partners with a guy named Bob Cole, and, and two weeks ago, you, uh, he told me you saved his life by I said, oh, oh, man, I wonder what happened to He goes, well, we live in Maryland. He goes, and I told him I was coming here for uh, taking a week off and coming down here. She said he made me promise to give you something and come see you. So he said, oh, can you come over to where we're staying at the... At, the, at the, our guest house, I said, yeah, sure, we're just walking out the door now. So Amy and I went over there, and this guy and his wife were there. And he says, uh, Bob, first of all, wanted to apologize. He goes, that he didn't see you after the show. He goes, 
he sort of had a an accident when you I licked him and had to go change his clothes, you know. Yeah, and I said, yeah, that's understandable. understandable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he said, and then he said we had a like six thirty in the morning flight, so he, you know, he after that ordeal, he took a shower, went to bed, and um, then had to leave. He didn't know how to get in touch with you. So he says, so here's a package. He gave okay. me a little package. He goes, I'm about to give to you. And so I, I opened it up, and there was a, a this watch, a beautiful... This watch you're wearing now? Yes, a beautiful oh, wow, okay. Citizens solar-powered eco watch. This is from 10 years ago. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the watch was in there with a card. And he said, please call this number. So I called the number, and Bob answers. And um, and he goes, okay, hang on a second. And he puts it on speakerphone, and his kids all go, his kids are there with him, say, thanks for saving our dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I got out of ball with his grandkids and, the, you know, the whole family. So it was really nice because he ended up being a really good friend. Yeah. And so I always told him, I said, boy, I'm glad I didn't save an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I would have saved you anyway, but well, I'm sure glad we. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, so that was. Doesn't a, eat hot dogs anymore. You were the, yeah. <laughs> we busted on it. It was a friend of mine that sold him the hot dog. I was going to say, I, know the, I think I know the hot dog guy. <laughs> yeah, we busted on him for a long time for that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. And every year on that in uh, February on the. Uh, on the anniversary of that event, I, I sent him a, a card or a text saying, Chew your food, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So, uh, I was wondering, who would, back, I guess back again to the early years, we're jumping around, that's fine. Who, you, you mentioned a couple of guys, but... Were there any performers that were like some key mentors, some key inspirations for you that, like, now we have the format, I guess, uh-huh. in busking, but uh, were you even aware of this? Did you? Yeah, well, as, seeing as uh, I was actually, as an artist, working many festivals and uh, Renaissance spirits, yeah. I was getting um, uh, a good preview of kind of observing. the busking life, of what it was like who was doing it, how they were, you know. I had some good examples out there. And uh, Just to pause, just because uh, as a Canadian, I wasn't familiar with Renaissance Fairs, and I know a lot of our listeners may not be as familiar. Can you describe sort of what a Renaissance Fair show, because busking to regular show, some, some differences? <laughs> well, uh, a lot of the, the Renaissance Fairs were recreated like 16th century English villages. And they had the, you know, they had the juggler, the jongleur, as yeah. the French call it, and the, uh, and, uh, the court jesters and, and that, things of that nature, even jousting. Mm-hmm. And so for their, those festivals are generally four to six weeks long. Okay. They re- create that village somewhere in a rural area and uh, a rural private setting. And um, so it's uh, it's a period theater festival yeah. because all the uh, uh, all the people, uh, the artists, the performers are all in period dress. Okay, uh, a lot of them speak with uh, p- 
period accents or, you know, jargon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so like a, a pop-up community. One month it is, is a complete it community is. just and 400 then, years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a group called the, I'm called the SCA, the Society, yep, Society for Creative Anachronism. Yep. And uh, they they sort of set the pace, Okay. you know, for all that stuff. So you're watching performers, you're observing performers in that field. Oh yeah, and the performers at the at the Renaissance fairs also work for tips, like they did okay. in those. Uh, they're also, I mean, as a matter of record, they're also uh, paid a per diem too. Yes, but. Um, yeah, they receive gratuities, they pass their hat, which is, it's more a part of the cultural exchange than it is the financial exchange. Yeah. You know, in, in setting that scene of those days. And, um, yeah, I saw a lot of guys that inspired me in those day, in those earlier days uh, are now, you know, I guess you would call them my contemporaries, but uh, I, I look, still look up to a ton of them. Yeah. Um, Arsène Dupont, you know. I don't know him. Okay. I'm sure our listeners do. And also, but another another French, real guys, young yeah. Will, but yeah. French. Uh, all I could say is one of those classic clowns that just steals your heart, okay. makes you laugh, makes you sad, makes you he, he makes you feel. Yeah. It just doesn't make you giggle. Yeah. Yeah. He, he takes you through all, the whole range of emotions. Uh, uh, physical master okay. at comedy. And, uh, you know, brilliant timing, everything. He, he's still uh, still performing. Yeah? Yeah. Um, it sounds like you were you drew more from the, the clown side, necessarily, than the, the juggler side. You had juggler skills, but it seems like you had clown inspirations yes well the, the crazy thing is is that uh, I realized that juggling at that point was becoming more and more popular and since I already knew how to juggle that was a it was a no-brainer to, yeah to involve that into my show and clowning itself never really appealed to me no but no but but I always highly respected okay. the clowns themselves and yeah. how good they were. I mean, it was something, it's like, uh, you know, competition ice skating or something. Yeah, yeah. I find it beautiful, but there's no way I, <laughs> there's no way I, I care to uh, learn it, you know. Yeah. So, um, I think the thing that drove me as I developed was, uh, I guess in a word, uh, threat of danger you know? <laughs> which is why I ended up you know like picking something like walking a tightrope in a high wire yeah because it's a challenge but it's also not like you know I mean as we all know juggling knives is only so dangerous yeah yeah you, know? you could really bruise yourself yeah <laughs> if you're not if you careful. needed to you could do them like hand uh, blade first you know? yeah yeah once yeah. you're once you're good at it but uh Walking a tiger every time you get on it. Yeah. So I, I like that. Focus. 
show that gave me a little bit of a thrill, you know. Um, for 30 years, I had my, 30 more, maybe 35 years, I had my tight wire up at the edge of the water at Mallory. And right now, I'm using my, um, that was tight wire. It was about 10 feet high. It was right on the edge of the water. Okay. Yeah. Hey, so you know, a lot of things could go wrong. A very good story about that in the book too. Yeah, things can go wrong there, but also they could go way right too because I, uh, I mean, I went up in twenty-five to thirty-knot winds sometimes. Jesus. Just because. Can you? Let's try it. <laughs> right. I, want, I needed to know what if could I, go wrong. I Don't think about to that. Know if I could. <laughs> And and uh, as I became, I was in also a windsurfing beach bum in those days. Okay. So windsurfing is a uh, the key to windsurfing is reading the wind on your body and in the sail that you're holding, feeling the wind, reading it, reading the direction, feeling the gusts, building, yeah. stuff like that. It all ties or plays right into being on a yeah. Not only on a tight wire, but on a tight wire exposed to the, at the water's edge. Uh, you know, exposed to the the fickleness of uh, the yes. wind. Uh, what's the word for it? It's not, it's not quite an obsession, but it was something that I, uh, I needed. I needed that challenge every day, as often as possible. Kind um, of a challenging muse. Yeah, and it, and it it progressed through there. I I. Jazz Festival, they said, well, they were the first festival that switched me from, I used to go there as an artist. Okay. When I became a performer. Oh, that must have been fun. Yeah, I told <laughs> them, I saw it. And they were, they, you know, the directors knew me at that point. Yeah. They said, well, sure, you know, what do you want to do? So I said, well, I'm doing some uh, tightrope now, so that'd be nice. And uh, one of them said, oh, you want to put your rope up in the trees and poke? pointed up like that yeah. some big oak trees and I went oh shit I've never, <laughs> never been higher than about six feet and yet. what time, was this know. so I about this was about 20 I think if I remember it was correctly it was about 22 feet oh Jesus <laughs> so it was hard enough to bust your butt you know yeah so uh, I uh, I said yeah sure I could do that <laughs> <laughs> never ever, yeah, don't, ever. don't blink don't yeah, show yeah. fear go so uh, I went up there and, and uh, you know I got a I got a ladder and hooked it all up and put it up the day before I was supposed to walk on it and I tried it My, I'm telling you my little legs were shaking like a leaf but I got out and and the way I had it rigged, I couldn't even get off the other end because I had a come along yeah. built into it. So I had a, I walked all the way out to the middle, knelt down for my bow, and then walked backwards to where I started. <laughs> you know, so um, the, and I was using a balance pole. So, so you were, or you were not. I was. You were. You were. I was using a balance pole, a really light one. As I found out later, I should have been using much heavier. But um, <laughs> the more the day I, I was so nervous, the day I started doing it, I'm a firm believer in omens. Okay. 
and I climbed up the tree, I had the ladder there, and I climbed up the tree and had somebody hand me my pole, and just as I'm settling into the, like the crotch on the tree where the branches come apart like that, trying to rest, I heard this little peep, 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 peep behind me. And I would go look around, and in the hollow of the tree, there's a bird there that, a mama, a mama bird, whose name just broke open. And, hello, it's Mother's Day. It was Mother's Day in, <laughs> in spring, you know, in New yeah, Orleans. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I went, oh, that's got to be an omen. <laughs> I'm always searching good. for omens. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, think I feel like I was a good omen. Yeah. And so that calmed me down. And, right. I, and I did, did my little show, and then I had uh, got a lot more uh, confidence from that. Yeah, well, 6 to 22 feet. At that point, you've yeah. you, you, you so leapfrogged then, a few steps. <laughs> the, uh, the next year, they said, well, you know, what do you want to do this year? And the, the guys that worked there, uh, there was a foreman named Tag Richardson, and their production group was okay. called uh, Home Team. In New Orleans, they do several, you know, uh, a lot of festivals throughout the South. So, but they're home base in, in New Orleans. He said, "Yeah, man, what do you need? Uh, you want to put up something higher?" Yeah. I said, "Like, well, let's see. It'll be, it'll be cool." Well, right next to Stage One, there's a huge <laughs> lake. Well, no, I just say lake. It's a huge pond. <laughs> a small lake. Small lake, huge pond. Yeah. Okay. So I said, uh, it'd be kind of fun to go across the lake. And he said, well. Safer. Yeah. Yeah. So the, he said, no problem. Uh, we can go up on this hill here and that hill there and, and sink some telephone poles. Because they had all the equipment, you know. What do you need? <laughs> That's great. Bulldozer. Just telephone poles. Yeah, That's backhoe. Awesome telephone poles they sunk telephone poles and it was so long so far across it was a couple hundred yards okay that i had to do uh guy wires capilettis off to the sides about every 30 40 feet okay okay to take the snake out of the main wire and um it took us to rig it, all right, because I was learning my rigging as I was going along. There, he was a big help. See, he already—he was a rigging guy, but I knew what I needed. You know, I—I I knew what I needed it to feel like underneath me. So the two of us together designed a pretty good rig. So I walked it, and it was a big hit. So uh, then that winter, uh, they call. Oh, yeah, you get this right. That year, they called me up and they said, hey, you want to do it again? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. I said, but, you know, I just did it like that. He goes, well, we got the rig up. He goes, can you think of anything else? I said, well, I could walk a blindfolded. Yeah. And he goes, you can do that? I said, well, I never did it, but I'm pretty sure I can. <laughs> and I said, so what if I fall? It's in a pond. Yeah, yeah. You know? It was, uh, I'm guessing it was... I, I'll do a picture off for you sometime. Uh, sure, sure. It's probably at its height, 30, 30 feet in the air when the trees, poles were coming off the little hill. And so, uh, this is funny. I get about half, I'm, I'm doing the walk. I get about halfway out and I hear some people laughing. Okay. You know, they go, ah, you know, cracking up and yelling at me and laughing. And I'm thinking to myself, Holy shit, would I have a fucking terror in my ribbon, my tights? 
or what. You, you know? got a blindfold on. You I can't got a blindfold check. on. Okay. I'm carrying a pole. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, you're, whatever, you're busy. You know? Your hands are I'm full. I'm busy, yeah. yeah. So I just kept walking, kept on walking. And I got to the end. Somebody at the other end helped walk me in, you know. Three more steps, two more steps. I got to the thing. And they reached out and grabbed my shirt and pulled me in. I put my pull down, turned yeah. around, took my blindfold off. And these guys, the production crew, had put a whole, about a dozen inflatable alligators oh, in Jesus. the pot. They're <laughs> 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 So, that goes to a, a, a yet another story. They called me up and they said, "Look, okay, we got the we got a a, um, a contract for a jazz festival in Orlando." They said, "You want to do it?" I said, "Yeah, sure. What? Let's do something." They go, "Something new?" I said, "Yeah, what?" I hear these guys all giggling in the background. I'm going, "Okay, you guys, what's up?" <laughs> they go, "Well, we got a." Bobby Tiger, the Mikasuki alligator wrestler, is going to be there with his alligators giving a demo. They said we thought we could hook you guys together, and uh, and you know put a pit of alligators, uh, put, put, put you over a pit of alligators to do your show. What are these guys doing a DIY jackass episode? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> it looks like a busker jackass thing. So I thought to myself. Oh, well, here we go again, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure, I could do it, you know? <clears throat> so when I got there, I met the guy, Bobby Tiger, the, the alligator wrestler, and I go, Bobby, I've been hearing about you for years. He's a member of the Super Are you good? I hope and you're I, good. <laughs> I, shake, I shake his hand, and he's got one and a half fingers missing. And yep. I'm thinking, oh, this can't be a good omen. <laughs> no, you know what? He still has his hand. Yeah, I've met a couple true. alligator wrestlers, too, and yeah. nubs for fingers, but... So, uh... So they did. They they made a pit for the alligators, and Bobby goes, uh, "How high are you gonna put your rope, Will?" I said, uh, well, "How high can alligators?" <laughs> You're the expert yeah, on this right, one. Right, right, right. <laughs> so he, we only we didn't put it up that high because if I did fall in there, I didn't want to be injured on top of it yeah, and have to lay there. You want to get out quick? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had about seven, eight feet high. Okay. And uh, just just enough to get over them in case they jumped up. They can they can really jump up about half their length. So, Alligators uh, can get so they had big. a they had a a big sign that said Gator Bay Will Soto. I get up there and I'm, that, I'm doing the show and I'm juggling and everything. I, I was using a rope this time, tight rope. Okay. Juggling and everything, doing my whole regular show on the road. Oh wow! And, okay. Uh, and all of a sudden, alligators snapping, popping underneath me. <laughs> and I look out the corner of my eye, you know, and there's fucking Bobby Tiger with his big pole poking the alligators and making them jump and snap and shit. Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I got done with the show, I got down at the end. Everybody, you know. <laughs> Everybody clapped, and I went in the back, and I said, "Bobby, you got one hell of a sense of theater, <laughs> theater, brother." He goes, "Come on, Will." He goes, "Nobody wants to see him playing around." That's what I said. I said, uh, "You got it, buddy. We uh, we made him laugh." I said, "But uh, you know, who's going to clean these pants?" <laughs> 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 
<laughs> That's great. Uh, That's so good. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're jumping, jumping all over, but why tight wire walking? Like, of, oh, the, okay. things, of the things you could have done easy, packed up, tight wire walking is generally not the one. But okay, like, this, this is another fate intervention. Uh, some of the people that also inspired me when I started were, were uh, Bounce and Cyrus, you know. Okay. Circus. Okay. And Bounce's uh, partner, Ula La. And uh, I know she actually wasn't with him. Is that, is that Danny's mom? Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, Danny. Yeah. Uh, I met him on the. Um... I saw Danny almost be born, you know. I've known him since infancy. Okay. And actually, I met. Ooh la la, her name is Karen, okay. uh, at the Oklahoma uh, State Festival, Oklahoma City Festival of the Arts. Okay. Uh, before she was married to Bounce, we ha- were happened to be working the same pitch, yeah. alternating, and I met her there. She was doing a, a one-woman one show called White Mule Circus. Okay. And, uh, and so... Her bounce and those guys. So she got together with bounce. They, they uh, lived in Key West, and I came over to visit them because you know I had met bounce at Mallory and we're yeah. starting to get to be friends. And he had a little tight wire, like in his backyard. Okay. Two and a half, three feet high, maybe. Okay. That was it. And um, like I said, my background's in gymnastics, so I had a lot of balancing things. Yeah. On, you know, I did. Side horse, uh, horizontal bar, and tumbling. Okay. And uh, so I, you know, obviously I had to try it. Wow. I jumped up on it just to see how it was, you know, see what it felt like. Yeah. And I walked out on it, and literally, in my first minute of being on it, I knew that it was my milieu. It was a, it was a place I. Yeah, I never, right from the get, never felt with it. I guess you'd say I always felt comfortable with it. Started out on a wire, moved to rope, but uh, it became. What happened is I felt so good at it, at doing it. it, made me feel so good, and I liked the challenge that I got a rope, and went to Bayview Park. Okay. Put it up at the same level. Just you know, juggle it. Just yeah. doing it. You know, falling, dropping it. Yeah. And um, so, and then you jump a little higher, a little higher, and to uh, how that all started. Okay. It was. Uh, I could probably honestly say I never had any uh, financial incentive to do it because I really didn't even know how to market that. Yeah. Being a wire call in retrospect. It was a, yeah, <laughs> it was a personal challenge that I just cherished. Yeah, it clicked with you. Yeah. yeah. It started now. That's cool. That's cool. So, um, now Mallory Square's been your, it's been your home pitch for a while. <laughs> 43 and years. 40, for a while, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, a lot, a lot of people we've caught over the years uh, with with this podcast 
they're international performers. They travel quite a bit. Uh, I'm sure we've had some people that are dedicated more to one space, but you seem to have been this. This has been home pitch. This has been where. like part of my family. Yeah. And Mallory's unique. You you didn't just develop it. People have founded pitches and they've continued. Mallory's unique. Mallory is a well uh, what happened was uh, Mallory started out to be totally impromptu. Uh, people come in and gather and watch the sunset yep. and it got to be uh, you know I, I've sometimes said it was one of the last great hippie parties but yeah. really there was everyone there. Fishermen Everyone's an equal. Authors, yeah. restauranters, people just came down to be themselves. Yeah. And um, we just, we called everybody sunsetters, whether they were performing or just drinking wine, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and in those days, there was actually some, I guess you would call them fairly significant individuals that hung there. Tennessee Williams. Okay. Uh, Shell Silverstein. Wow, all right. Jimmy Buffett used to sit on a overturned five-gallon bucket. I've heard of him, yeah. yeah. I think he's, he's going to make it you big know. in Key West. Right. He keeps at it. And uh, <laughs> so uh, a lot of really talented people uh, all the way through. Even Guy Laliberte, the, uh, the originator and uh, founder of Cirque du Soleil, yeah. came here in 1980. Yeah. He was a broke belonger. Sleeping on my couch, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so we're still good friends. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, he's really, you know, and he's taken such good care of us over the years. He sends us tickets to everything, invitations to everything, shows, parties. He's never forgot his buds from the old days. That's and, cool. That's and, cool to uh, hear. That. That's the that's the kind of guy he is. So uh, yeah, man, there was all kind of people there, and uh, but it, it didn't matter. Nobody asked your last name, like I said, or what you did for a living. You were just, if you were good to them that night, they were good to you that night. And that was all that mattered. Your yeah. handshake and your word. Uh, it got bigger. The party just naturally was, I mean, we, everybody, uh, of course everybody smoked weed, went skinny deep in. And, yeah. um, it was like the kind of tropical party that you always hoped you'd stumble upon somewhere yeah but it was on a pier but yeah. it was still the same you know yeah, yeah. At, when the sun went down all the individual drummers that had been scattered around all came to the center of the pier started playing together at that point everybody got something acoustic yeah bottles to bang sticks to hit on the ash can whatever yeah. and um and we got a nice drum circle going, and people skinny dip, and then as it got darker, we got out the limbo stick and did the lift. Sometimes we made a bonfire. We did the people came out of water, naked from skinny dipping, in, and did the limbo. It was <laughs> it was an unabashedly uh, free party, uh, and you know, we really did not have um, 
many problems to speak of. It was sort of self-policed. Okay. And the, the policing that was there were uh, sensible, I guess would be the word okay. for it. I remember having a cop walk up to us one day while we were uh, smoking a joint. And I didn't notice him because he was standing next to me and I was taking a hit off it. Can and you I not do that went, beside my car? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, can you guys please at least go in the alley? <laughs> Don't compromise me. <laughs> okay. That's, that's funny. Yeah. So, uh, but like it, but, now, it, but. The, the event got bigger. It kept getting, it was getting discovered. You know, as Key West was. And yeah. It got bigger and it got bigger. And pretty soon, it was a, a small economic engine. Okay. It was, wasn't was a lot of tourism, but what we had was like creating a flush down Duval Street to the Sunset Celebration and yep. then a flush back every day. Business and the merchants started the merchants noticing that. The they said, they could, yep. we could tell you, you know, uh, by our cash registers what time it is by um, the people coming to Mallory. So... The city started getting cold feet about the fact that it was getting bigger, more and more dangerous things were going on. Yeah. Uh, some people were coming in and reselling stuff like a flea market. Yeah. So, okay. so uh, they said, look, we were, we're closing it down. We're, number one, we don't want a flea market there. Number two, we want to use that pier for cruise ships. And number three, we don't want to be responsible for what's going on there anyway. Yeah. So we uh, we formed uh, well. We first started some like rallies, community rallies. Okay. Uh, the place that's now the Maison de Pepe. Yep. Yep. The little restaurant used, there used to be a, a community center. Oh, all you right. You could have weddings. I was or wondering whatever, about that building. Parties it or whatever. Real nice for yeah, it a is, restaurant. It is. For so um, we had our rallies in there. People came from you know we had big potluck dinners people came from all over the community and supported us. It was just basically the politicians and a few uh, businessmen that had their eyes on their own commercial interests out there. Yep. Now they saw something was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the ones that wanted us out of the way. And so uh, we had probably six months of contentious city commission meetings. Okay. You know, they started out by actually arresting some of us, arresting uh, performers for not having a license when there really wasn't a license. Yeah. Arresting artists for selling without a license and whether it wasn't a license. Well, so anyway, let me finish <laughs> they that real were arresting, quick. Yeah. They, uh, you know, um, they were even arresting people for loitering in a, you know, in a city park. <laughs> so park. all the tra- charges. We actually had a bunch of pro bono lawyers okay. that jumped up, guys that were just dropouts and they weren't practicing anymore. <laughs> but they were, they were us hanging clues. out there too. They were hanging out there too, and they were giving us tips on what to do, and they got. You know, all the charges were got dropped because the boat, they were bogus. And uh, then the city started talking to us. We started going to the meetings and having our little rallies. And we finally said, look, we don't want to be responsible for the event we will be we'll get liability insurance and we'll have waivers for, and uh, if you don't want it to be a, a flea market we'll uh, screen everyone to make sure they sell only what they make 
Yeah. Handmade in Key West. And the third thing was that we, we just talked to the cruise ships, and they don't really want to be here at sunset time. They want to go out, serve dinner, and open their casinos. Yeah. So we answered all their questions and all their fears, and they were like, oh. Uh, they said, look, all those places around Mallory Square, you lease to people, the waterfront playhouse, the, the restaurant, yeah. the, you know, Ed Swift's Village. Those are all, uh, the aquarium, those are all owned by uh, the city, and you lease them out. Why don't you lease us to pier for like four hours a day, two hours before sunset, two hours after. Yeah. And yeah, at that point, deal. they really didn't have any more, we kind of took the air out of all their... Didn't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, so right. they said, well, okay, we'll, uh, we'll give you a trial lease for six months. If anything yeah. goes wrong, that's it. You guys are out of here. And uh, I'm, I'm not even sure we were confident nothing would go wrong, you know. <laughs> but nothing went wrong. Everything was fine. Yeah, so it they, went wrong so they, far. It's they gave us like, another one, yeah. another year, and then three, and five, and now we're on five years renewable. And yeah. we just uh, signed a new one. And month. this is the Cultural Preservation Society. So when when did that start? What Do you have a rough? Uh, I believe in 1984, in the same year that we okay. got our release. Wow. All right. And were you aware of anything else even in the world, like as far as a pitch or performance space that was operating quite on that? I mean, I'm not aware no, of anything like no, that now. No, we weren't. So. We weren't. We were uh, flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah, you know? yeah. And performers and artisans taking on the whole yeah. shebang. <laughs> well, you know, and it was, it was community-wide because, like I said, you know, there was, I can think of at least three attorneys yeah. that are they're now, <laughs> you know, cheeses in town, they're big cheeses. Yeah. In those days they were either just starting it was actually a dropout. Okay. You know, and uh, so with their legal guidance and Captain Tony's presence, Captain Tony meant Captain a lot. Tony? Captain Tony was the godfather of Sunset. Okay. You know why? He, Captain Tony, he was my mentor. Okay. And he was—he was all those things that everybody thinks about Key West. He was a bar owner. He was a smuggler, a gun runner, a, a, a bookie, a, a fisherman, <laughs> uh, the mayor. He was the mayor at one he point. He was the mayor at one point. Yeah, yeah. And he was all those things, and everybody revered Captain Tony. And probably at the top of that list would have been Womanizer. And it, I heard that from a ghost tour too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I know. It's and you know, it was—he was like the most lovable womanizer you ever met. He would charm a woman out of her panties right in front of her husband, and he would—he would, he would uh, laugh and <laughs> shake his hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, he'd say to her, "Oh, you're beautiful. You should go to—you should go to uh, Las Vegas with me." And he'd say to the husband, "And you should come too, man. We could have a good time." We'll gamble. We'll go out to eat. You know, let's, <laughs> let's show let's show your wife a good time. <laughs> oh, uh, he was funny. <laughs> but anyway, he was the one man. He said, "Look," he said, "Basically, this is what he told me privately." He said, "These guys are trying to shove you guys out the back door." Yeah, and and it's it's not for any of the, what they're telling you. They said they they got their cash register sites set on this this place. He goes, Captain Tony was already uh, had uh, oh, what's the word for it? Yeah, notoriety. Okay. 
so he had already had a movie made about him and a book written about him. Okay. So he called up all his media friends, you know, uh, TV, yeah. and, uh, all newsprint, yeah, all these people. New York Times, L.A., Miami, all these people, and all these people came down, reporters and shit, to all these meetings. So it's like Tony said to me, he goes, "Let's turn on the lights, see, see how many cockroaches are running around here. <laughs> turn on the lights and watch the cockroaches run." And he made them all. All of a sudden, these guys started changing their tune when they had a big camera and a microphone on their yeah. face yeah. about what they were doing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it was a lot of things. You know, it wasn't just the seven people that were the nonprofit, or it wasn't just this or that guy. Or it was just the right amount of people at the right time. That perfect storm perfect in storm. the right direction. And uh, there you have it. Now we have Sunset Celebration. Wow. And now, as I understand it, you even have a scholarship program. Yeah. I can't think of a single pitch in the world that has a scholarship yeah, program. Yeah, <laughs> we gave out We gave out several scholarships this year. And, and one of them to one of our little busker. Oh, uh, yeah, I girls. remember her. I came through came through when she was on her way out or I was on yeah, my she's way in or something like that. She's going yeah. to college on her scholarship that's, now. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. I would love to see... Uh, love to see more places do that I, I know up in Canada we have a lot of government regulated pitches and uh, boy that's fun can't can't make that joke about sitting around uh, an audience member leaning on something what are you a government worker can't make that joke. <laughs> they, they will and have asked me to <laughs> no scholarships there uh, but um, so as, as a guy who's worked a lot on a home pitch versus traveling, is there anything, any pros, any cons that like have come up? Anything you oh, Jesus! Forty-three years. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well the short list of them then. Yeah. The, uh, first of all, my first job, I think, my first twenty to twenty-five years, I spent five to six months on the road. Okay. Yeah, just like most young busters okay. do these days. I worked the West Coast. I worked everywhere from Seattle down to Portland, San Francisco, you know, Venice Beach, Balboa Park. Okay. All the way up and down the West Coast. This was the early Coast. 80s or? Early 80s. Okay. Early 80s. Then I um, worked all across the South, the East Coast. I've been working in the West, you know, Chicago, okay. Pittsburgh, Ann Arbor. Uh, Memphis. Okay. So I got my traveling in, and now I'm like, you know, ha, I'm 73 now. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to like. It's like I told somebody the other day. Yeah, I'm not out there closing the discos anymore. And yeah. he said, "Well, there hadn't been a disco in 25 years." I said, yeah, see that? See, exactly. Quit going to them. <laughs> I think they're coming back. I think yeah, they're yeah. coming back. Everything old is new again. <laughs> right. So now I just, you see it. We are sitting where I want to be. Yeah. Now I'm in my garden, working in my garden and swimming in off the back deck and, you know, life is good. Writing your book. Yeah, writing my book. There is one thing. Now I've watched your show a few times and I've watched a lot of shows at Mallory Square a few times. Um, 
And one thing that strikes me about you specifically is whether it's a big audience or a small audience, and everyone has a little bit of an edge, but you can tell. Whether it's a big audience, a small audience, a good audience or a bad audience, you always have a smile. You always come across, and maybe it's a very good act, but you always come across like you still love what you do. This is not true for everyone. We don't need to name names. But you still come across like you love what you do. How, how do you do that after 43 years? There's okay. Well, you know, it's twofold, really. Number one is I do love it. And so, uh, as anyone that's a veteran knows that, you know, every night's not going to be great. No, no. So, uh, some nights when a crowd is like really dragging or whatever, uh, if you can find three, four, six or eight people that are having a good time out of your crowd of 150, yeah. and the other ones are just staring at you, well, just focus on those six or eight that are having a them. good time and have a good time yourself. Yeah. So that allows you to not think about, oh, how much am I going to make? It just allows you to have a good time with some people and yeah. share a good thing. But now, a little background on that. I uh, I had a bad show one night. Small crowd. Had some guy that was a horrible heckler. Yeah. And I lost my temper on him. Okay. Well, I mean, I, you know, I sort of rudely t- told him what I thought of him, you know. All right, all right. Without pulling too many punches. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, really, I had only a 20, 25-person crowd. It was a small crowd. Yeah. But I just told this guy basically to, you know, hit the bricks, and I ended yeah. my show. In that crowd was the producer of one of the biggest festivals in the country. Yeah. I had worked for it once before. Yeah. Never worked for him again, ever. Damn. Yeah. And I saw the his face as he walked away. And, oh, man, it cut me so deep. I went, okay, I learned a big lesson here today. Yeah. You know, forget about it. I did. I had a, a show one night that was so bad. I had drunks. I had whatever you know, hecklers. I had people. Cursing in English. Cursing in English. And so, uh, in my old days, in my younger, more volatile days, I would have said something like. Uh, Hey, if you want to watch a monkey jump around, you should save your money and go into the Miami Zoo. Yeah. And nowadays, I, and that would have left, made everybody pissed off, and I. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't have really had much satisfaction other than yeah. going off, you know. So nowadays, if it's really, really bad like that, yeah, I might do something like, uh, and I have, uh, say, oh. Uh, Excuse me, I have a really bad stomach ache, and I will excuse myself to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And when I come out of the bathroom, I go the other way, you know, just leave. <laughs> <laughs> go over to the bar with him and say, I'm in bed, have a drink. <laughs> Peek over there once in a while and see if it's pretty nice. <laughs> just like, let, let them like, watch you. Right, right. Is she coming back? 
It's got a margarita. <laughs> Is that a salad? <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, yeah. You know, there's no... All you're doing when you're losing it is you're, it's just, you're hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You're hurting yourself. And and although you really like to say something to some people, and I have have been guilty of that my own self, you know, but um, you can't be too rude. Yeah. You can't be too rude. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't want, my motto about Aggressive humor is that you can make as much fun as you want of anyone in your crowd as long as it's not uh, vulgar and as long as you make fun of yourself. Yeah. You got to make fun of yourself. Yeah. And that makes it okay. Punch yourself. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 right, right. That's fair. Your rig. You told me this story before. The one I'm using, uh, my little yeah, convention yeah, yeah, rig? Yeah, I would love to just... I, I, I just want to hear it again. I think it's such a funny story because you were traveling and it was the yeah, farmer well, I, I was, story. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was staying in Florence, Oregon. I, I went out there uh, and was spending the season there, really. Yeah. And the first month or so, I was, was working a renaissance in... renaissance or... I was working Old Town in Portland. Okay. Which was about two and a half hours away from where I was staying. So I go into Portland on the weekends, which is the only time Old Town was open to busking. And um, I realized that when I had, when I was in Key West, I, w- I had a, several different kind of rigs that I could set up and actually fast, excuse me, fasten to things, uh, immovable objects on the pier, like ship cleats and yep. things like that, you know, yep, yep. to put tension on it. But there was nothing to fat, or I could go between two trees in a park at a festival or whatever. But there was nothing to tie to there in yeah. Old Town. So I started thinking, I'm going to build a little portable rig. Yeah. And I went to these guys that had like a aluminum uh, shop. Okay. I told them, and they made me a rig sort of the size that I wanted, but it sucked. It bent. It it. It was wobbly. It was just wasn't sturdy enough. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I used it once and I almost killed myself on it. Oh, jeez. So that weekend, that next that next week, I was commiserating to one of my neighbors. I was having coffee with a gentleman who was like a farmer down the road. And I said, yeah, man, I can't believe it. I thought these guys would hook me up, but they gave me a... Oh, he asked me how it was. I said it's a piece of crap. We charged you a lot for it too. Shop yeah. rates. Yeah, actually, I should have been aware. I should have known right off that they didn't charge me a lot. Oh, <laughs> they should didn't have told me enough. something. Yeah. Oh no. You know, should have told me something, but it didn't. But be- because anyway, my friend says, um, "Well, look, Will. He goes, why don't you come on over to my place?" And we'll look, see what kind of steel I got in my barn. See if we can put something together. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it turns out all that, that was, and I, I needed this rig to use for a month. Yeah. That was in 1992. 92. Yeah. So uh, we went, he had all this, like, black steel, 
really strong steel. Yeah, heavy stuff. Yeah, heavy stuff. My rig's heavy. But, oh, you know, it looks it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what you need. You don't need yeah. it jumping around and bouncing around underneath you. Yeah. And so, and it all comes apart into small pieces so I could travel with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, assembly, some assembly required. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, it, co- it ended up costing me, I think, uh, 200 bucks and a case of beer. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's really not bad for some quality farmer engineering oh, that's lasted should, you over I'm two sure decades. I'm sure this gentleman is not alive anymore. I mean, it was quite a, quite a few years ago, and he was he was uh, in his late 70s at that point. Okay. But, um, yeah, man, we had a, I, we sat in the barn, and, well, what about this piece here? You know? <laughs> It's like assembling a costume out of a thrift yeah. store, except it's a re- that's great. Uh, so you've be, you've seen, I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen out of Mallory is you've had a generation, maybe two, of performers come up and through. What it's almost like it's a, it's a circus club, it's a performance space, it's an open mic, it's everything. I I. I have often referred to it as an incubator for the arts, yeah. for the performing arts, Absolutely. because it is. We've had people come over the years, uh, you know, just like uh, the young lady that got the musical scholarship yep. uh, this year. She came as a young girl in grade school and uh, learned to play her first guitar chords out there. And now this last year, she was uh, she com- she performed at the music at uh, the musicians festival. Okay. She got our scholarship. She yeah. got she got a scholarship from the university she's going to, to study music, also music and theater. So uh, it is not it's a it's an incubator for all kind of arts. When 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 our our three juniors, <laughs> local juniors, Jace, Blue, and Reed started, yep. they were in a Jimmy Ray's junior high juggling club. He was there. I think Jimmy Ray was their art teacher. Okay. Actually, we started a juggling club. Yeah. Jimmy Ray's really good friends with Bounce. Okay. So, you know, this is town. Yeah. So they learned to juggle, and when they learned to juggle, they started coming down. They say, uh, Jimmy asked me, he goes, could you like help me uh, give him some direction here, Mallory? So I said, like yes. show direction? Yeah, show direction, okay. like uh, what, the, what to do, how to you know, go about it. So I said, okay, look, <clears throat> I'll do it three weekends every Saturday morning. Yeah. I'll do a, like a four-hour uh, <laughs> workshop okay. on street theater. And so they came. and um, That's, a, that's a quite a dedication of your time for, for some high school kids well, at that point. Fuck, or, we needed it. Yeah. When you, you know, we, well, we're how, you know how it is. People love to mentor. They yeah. do. And and uh, I saw that there were, oh, that they were, uh, they were all prospectively really good jugglers. You know? Yeah, they were proving quickly. So I gave them, uh, you know, uh, um, a tutorial on how to how to build a show. Yeah, you know how to. Uh, Created, you know, like a like a visitor writing an essay, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, which Blue still uses in his show. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you got an introduction. You know, you want to introduce yourself, yeah. and you want to tell the audience what you're going to do and what you expect of them. Yeah. Then you got the middle, which is all your material. 
And then the conclusion is um, your your hat pass. Yeah. And so, uh, in addition to that, we had a lot of little um, exercises on communication. down their barriers. Yeah. If they got their arms folded, throw them something. They'll, you'll break their barrier and form a bridge. Yeah. You know, if you throw them a ball. Little, little exercises like that. Yeah. And then the third week, I, I, I had them all now with all the tools we gave you. Yeah. Uh, design us your own little show. Okay. And the third week, we had a, a show out there. I, I also did the same thing in Chicago, too. And um, this would have been in the late '90s, early 2000s in Chicago. Well, just in oh, you general, mean this? You could, this? This sounds was, like quite a format you you have. This wasn't just uh, the first time I did it was in the early '80s in okay. Chicago, and uh, I since I did it once there, I did it once in New Orleans in the late '80s. I did it here and, uh, for the kids. Well, let's look at it. So it was in the early 2000s because the kids, I think, are like 27, 28 now. And this yeah. is when they were 10. Yeah. <laughs> so I have pictures of them doing the show like when they were 10. Uh, yeah. All three of those guys in there are like little kids. <laughs> Even Jace was a little kid. You know, he was like kind of like their size. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's a, we've had people, we had one young lady that came down played, learned how to play the violin, unfortunately for the people next to her, she was, you know, tough to take the first year. She got so good, she started coming every year and sending herself to music camp by what she made at Mallory. Now she's like really good. Okay. You know, so seeing people develop like that out there is, uh, it's it's like watching your own family or kids grow. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I was gonna say that perspective, that longevity to, to watch all that. Yeah, and the real old school busters, I think, all understand that. Yeah, uh, it's our our profession, and if you want it to flourish, you gotta, you know, keep feeding it and fertilizing it. Yeah, yeah, passing it down. Yeah. Well, do you have any any notes for for new performers? Any things? Any notes for old performers? Well, for new performers, I always say this: like, don't worry about having a bad night because uh, you know everybody has a bad night no matter how good you are eventually you have a bad night too it's just that as you get better and better you have fewer of them you know but they're always going to be there so don't take it personal you get done if you have a bad night let it it go yeah yeah let it go come back with renewed vigor the next day you know um it's uh to the general I guess this would be to all. This is just a, uh, a, um, I guess an observation of mine. Okay. As a, as a profession, 
there's some nights when you are you really have the energy it's, it's all about energy sometimes you have it and they don't have it yeah some nights they have it and you don't yeah and you can get it from them yeah the nights that neither of you have it are long nights those are the ones you dread but it happens yeah the nights or days when you both have it is what you're living for yeah that's when it's wild and it's all's right with the world another edit brought to you by courtesy of the U.S. Navy yeah. fly Navy uh. <laughs> my boy's up there <laughs> um, so the nights that you don't have it and they don't have it those yeah. long nights and that's you know those are the ones that are that scar you uh, psychically but you gotta let them go yeah. just let it go so they're gonna be like that but the nights that you both have it are the ones that make it all worthwhile yeah you know they reaffirm what you're doing it for yeah and I guess the only thing I can think of to, to wrap this up is um, anything you would have done differently <laughs> that's usually a good answer <laughs> uh, no we can't go there <laughs> <laughs> alright that's, another, that's another story okay get the book buy the book right <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> you know uh, when you fall down get up that's my only advice to anybody we all fall down and it's falling down doesn't define who you are. How you get back up does. You know what? I think that's a great place to leave this. Good. Thank, good. thank you so much, Will. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving me such a good, good time. Thank you for being my best friend. I want to remind everyone that we have a brand new logo and new merchandise. So if you'd like to support the podcast and show off the cool new design, head on over to our online store. The link is in the episode notes. And a huge thank you to those of you who already bought t-shirts, mugs, and stickers. Speaking of supporting the podcast, if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast or know someone who would, contact me at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. You can also visit the Busker Hall of Fame website and throw a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com forward slash buskerstories. Thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping keep busking history alive. Your support of the podcast will allow us to get new episodes out more frequently and improve the quality of the recordings. If you want to support Will, buy his book, Rogue Diaries. There's a link to where you can purchase it in the episode notes. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it and leave us a five-star review. It'll help get us noticed, and we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like someone to be interviewed or you feel a certain voice has not been heard, please reach out to me and let me know. We're doing our best to capture interviews and stories with as many performers as we possibly can. It's up to you to help fill in the gaps. So on behalf of myself, Isaac Giardin, who captured the interview, Kim Potter for putting together the YouTube slideshow, and the rest of the team of the Busker Hall of Fame, remember, if you can't laugh at yourself, find someone else and laugh at them. I'm Magic Brian. Thanks for listening. Yeah.